1: Welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Colorectal cancer is one of the most common cancers worldwide, and its incidence is increasing. Approximately 60% of colorectal cancer patients are over 70 years of age at the time of diagnosis, and 43% are over age 75. The average age for men is 68 years old, and for women, 72 years old. Today, my guest is Dr. Priyanka Kanth, a gastroenterologist with MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, Dr. Kanth leads the Gastrointestinal Cancer Prevention Program for patients and families with high risk for gastrointestinal cancers. Today, she's going to talk about signs and symptoms, risk factors, types of screening tests used to diagnose colorectal cancer, and available treatment options. She'll also talk about lifestyle choices older adults can adopt to lower their risk for colorectal cancer. So welcome, Dr. Kanth, and thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you, Cheryl, for having me today. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this topic, Um, so thank you
1: again. Okay, well, let's start with a brief uh, anatomy and physiology lesson here, Dr. Kanth. Talk about what is the colon and in what part of the colon does cancer usually occur? And we just even want to get a definition here of of, of whether colorectal cancer is the same as colon cancer. So give us an overview, please.
2: Absolutely. So colon is part of an organ in the body called large intestine um, or large bowel. So colon, uh, when we say colon cancer, we kind of club all the organs, which is part of this large intestine. So large intestine is divided into colon and rectum and a small portion of uh, anal canal. Um, when we talk about colon cancer, um, a lot of time we are really talking about both colon and rectum. We, when we say colorectal cancer, we are really specifying, we're talking about both colon and rectum together. Um, in some sense, when we say, somebody has colon cancer it could even be rectal cancer but we are not specifying it so in 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 some sense it is maybe same as the sound but technically they are different parts of large intestine and large intestine is an organ which uh, main function is to absorb water electrolytes is eliminate feces that's the main uh, part of our uh, main function of this organ and when cancer happens, it can occur at any part of colon. Colon is also divided into other smaller parts, which we don't have to talk about uh, medical jargons, but that's any portion of colon can have cancer or rectum can have cancer. Some cancers um, we are seeing more, um, mostly in younger population in the left side, as when when you hear the word left-sided cancer, we're really talking about rectum possibly included. So that's in general is uh, what we talk when we say colon or colorectal
1: cancer. And what I'm hearing you say also, I just heard you talk about younger people and wanted uh, kind of more information from you about the fact that uh, as we understand it, colorectal cancer is increasing. And I'm wondering, is it more common among older adults than younger people, or are we seeing it in younger people as well?
2: Very good question. So when we talk about colon cancer in general, it is still mostly seen in older patients. And just to specify, sometimes in the, in the medical world, we, when we say older adults, um, studies really say when you're over 50, 55, or 60 is considered older. So when we say higher cancer in this category, we are talking about 50 or 55 and above. When we say younger, we are talking about other side, less than 50. So globally, colon cancer is still seen more in the older adults, greater than age 50. Around 12% or so of colon cancer is seen in younger patients, younger people less than age 50. But we have seen a change. We have seen that colon cancer incidence is dropping in older adults, greater than age 55 and it's um, or greater than age 60, and it's increasing in younger population, less than age 50. So there has been a trend, even though more than 90% or around 85 to 90 percent are still seen in older folks, there is a shift in um, colon cancer incidence, where there's a rise in younger patients
1: and a drop in older patients, and there are various factors to it, but that is something to keep in mind. Yes. And if younger people happen to be listening to this program, they should uh, pay heed to uh, this, uh, the kinds of information that you're going to be sharing. So let's just, right, for the time being, focus more on the older adult. Talk about the risk factors that increase the likelihood of an older adult developing colorectal cancer.
2: Yes, a very um, uh, important question in some sense, and that's a very common question I get from my patients uh, when I do their colonoscopy. Um, And uh, the question is asked, what can I do differently uh, that can prevent um, colon cancer? So there are two ways to look into it. There are risk factors we can modify and there are risk factors we cannot. Um, So let's talk about non-modifiable risk factors. Number one is age. Like uh, we discussed just now, as we get older, we tend to develop more colon polyps, which are precancerous lesions, and tend to get more cancer. So age, we cannot change. Uh, Number two, I would say, is race. So in the U.S., uh, African-Americans have a higher risk um, uh, than other population uh, to get colon cancer. Till recently, we were screening them early compared to other average screening uh, population Till last year when everyone was getting screened at age 50. And we were uh, recommending screening African-Americans at age 45. Now it's 45 for everyone. And that's the reason we were doing that. Other risk factors which we cannot change. uh, Men have slightly higher uh, risk than women. Having personal history of colon polyps, these are precancerous. we'll chat about, or personal history of colon cancer itself uh, increases your risk. Any family history of colon cancer or many colon polyps, family history of genetic disease or condition, there are certain conditions which increases your risk for colon cancer. And that is something really uh, you need to be aware of anyone if you have family history of colon or some other cancers. Personal history of other diseases, such as inflammatory bowel disease. Um, These are conditions where your colon is inflamed, It's a chronic condition, and long-term inflammation can lead to cancer. And there are some other um, diseases such as diabetes. Uh, So these are things which cannot be changed, but are present and um, we should be aware of. But there are things we can change, and these are called uh, lifestyle factors, mostly modifiable lifestyle factors. And the biggest one is smoking. Um, If someone smokes tobacco for many years, uh, there is a higher risk of colon cancer, not only colon cancer, but also colon polyps. And we see that all the time. Obesity is another risk factor. Um, So so especially central abdominal obesity has an association. Physical inactivity, lack of exercise has an uh, association. Uh, Research has shown that Patients or the people who don't have enough exercise, there's a risk of almost 25% more of colorectal cancer. Alcohol, heavy alcohol usage, usually more than two drinks a day for men or more than one drink per day for women. And then the other big one is diet, which is when I talk about diet, I always emphasize there is an association of a high red meat diet with colon cancer. So we always talk about changing that. Um, there are some other smaller studies talking about antibiotics use and how it can change the gut microbiome. So these are the things somewhat can be modified. But in general, um, what we when we talk about risk, these are the big components we talk about.
1: Lots to think about there, and we're going to be talking later on about, how we can modify our our lifestyle and that to uh, prevent colorectal cancer. But I want to get back to now how the diagnosis is made. But and you've mentioned several times about polyps. What are polyps? And are they usually benign? Or what causes them if they become cancers? How does that happen? Absolutely. And uh, uh, like I say, the story
2: of colon cancer is not complete without understanding what colon polyps are. And uh, colon polyps, uh, the way to understand this for uh, anyone is these are little bumps or growth in the colon. And they are not cancer in themselves, but they are precancerous, so they could be precancerous. But not all polyps are precancerous. When we use the word precancerous, we mean they can turn into cancer. Again, not all polyps will turn into cancer, but there are broad groups where we say this is a benign polyp, usually called hyperplastic. These are precancerous polyps. Usually you'll, you'll see in your report if you had a polyp removed, adenomas, these are usually precancerous. And they can turn into cancer. Again, not all polyps will turn into cancer, but they have a potential to turn into cancer. So as a GI physician, as a gastroenterologist, when I do colonoscopy, that is one of our major goal is not only to find cancer, but actually find polyps, which we can remove. And there is no chance of these polyps to turn into cancer. So polyps are crucial in in pathophysiology or uh, what we call the basis of uh, cancer in some sense.
1: And, but all of that said, is it possible to get colorectal cancer uh, even without uh, polyps appearing in the colon? Yeah, that's a very good question. So in general, most
2: colon cancer will come from polyps. And the way we determine um, who may get cancer, like I said, all polyps will not turn into cancer, is how big they are, what they look under microscope, what we call pathology of it, or how many are there, those kind of things. Um, But it's a very good question whether colon cancer can arise just from the lining of the colon without making that bump or growth. Uh, We don't know for sure, but there are certain conditions whether we think this could be playing a role. Uh, One is the inflammatory condition like, um, sorry, inflammatory bowel disease, um, such as Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Uh, These patients have a lot of inflammation of the colon, and they do not always have these raised bumps, polyp-like tissue that can turn into cancer. Sometimes they are very vague. So that could be one area where we are not sure they have to make a big bump of growth. The other one, I just want to highlight There's just, there are, there are thoughts about it. There's a genetic condition called Lynch syndrome where patients have a high risk of colon cancer, but also many other cancer. And there is a thought process in this condition that is possible that some of the Lynch cancer comes from when the mucosa or the lining itself changes. So there could be some condition, but in general, most of the colon cancer still arises from polyps or these precancerous polyps.
1: Okay, well, so let's turn to signs and symptoms. If uh, based on all of these risk factors and the greater likelihood that someone could get colorectal cancer, what kinds of signs and symptoms would an older adult Uh, be looking for that could be symptomatic of colorectal cancer?
2: Yes, and uh, another great question Um, and um, something I want to emphasize, you may not have any symptoms, so that's to keep that in mind. But things to watch for and uh, seek attention and talk to your primary provider or a GI doctor is when you start noticing, and if you start noticing, blood in your stool. Um, and if that gets uh, worse and not resolving, surely talk to your uh, primary provider. Um, other things are change in bowel habits. So you had normal bowel every day, and suddenly now for a few days, few weeks, now you have constipation or diarrhea. Those are the things to um, see. Also, your consistency, as we call it, the caliber of stool changing. So keep that, um, keep that in mind. Other uh, systemic things can also happen such as weight loss or not feeling hungry, lack of appetite, fatigue, or vague pains, vague abdominal pain. Um, and those are the things uh, when uh, I usually say, if it's not resolving in a few days to a few weeks, uh, talk to your primary provider, talk to a GI doctor. Uh, we have a low threshold when we hear about uh, things like this, uh, especially blood and stool, um, to consider um, uh, thoroughly an investigation and see what, this, what could be causing these.
1: And I'm hearing you say, and I just wanted to uh, emphasize that for our listeners, that it is possible to have colorectal cancer without the signs and symptoms. Is, is that true?
2: Absolutely. So many cancers, unfortunately, early stages will not produce symptoms. Um, and colon cancer is no different Um uh, because also precancerous polyps, uh, they're not cancer itself, but even sometimes very large polyps will not produce any symptoms. So patients, uh, people may not even have any uh, symptoms and uh, they come in uh, with uh, no history at all for screening. Uh, and we'll talk about screening uh, later when they come for screening and uh, we sometimes find cancer. And it basically says colon cancer um, is quiet uh, like early stages. Um, so beware that if you don't have symptoms, that doesn't mean uh, you may not have cancer. There are lots of things to look into it, especially screening, and also family
1: history, certain other things which can increases your risk of colon cancer. So that sounds like that it's still important in terms of the screening, as you use, as you said. So. When is the best time to visit a physician um, if an older adult does have these signs and symptoms that you talked about?
2: Yes, um, if things are not resolving, like I said, few days to few weeks, um, there is no... good data on this, but um, I usually say within a month or so, if you're not feeling better um, or it's just uh, getting worse or other uh, things come up, um, do not wait, do not sit on these symptoms and make sure you talk to your physician.
1: Since you are a gastroenterologist and you have uh, in the specialty, is it wise to go to your primary care physician first, or is it possible just to schedule an appointment with a gastroenterologist? I think it's important for, again, our listeners to understand what the next step is when it's time to um, contact a physician.
2: Uh, yes, um, either. So you can, um, depending also on availability, um, any uh, provider, if you have a primary care provider, you can see it right away, I would say uh, start with that. But um, there is uh, no issue um, uh, to... Uh, to be able to find a GI doctor. And if you're able to see them sooner, absolutely um, get help from a GI physician, uh, because a lot of time we do get referral for these symptoms from a primary care provider. So I would say if it's going on for um, you know not resolving, then just go ahead and make an appointment and don't have to wait for your primary care
1: provider. Okay, well, that's good advice. So you've been talking about screening, Explain to us what exactly that means. What, what is colorectal cancer screening? And I'm assuming there's probably more. In fact, I know that. With my nursing background, I'm familiar with some of these uh, issues here. But um, we'll also, we also want to hear about whether an older adult has the choice of the various screening tests that you're going to talk about. But, but explain to us exactly what's involved in screening.
2: Absolutely. And I just want to mention this Uh, now, um, 45 is the new 50. So everyone gets screening for colon cancer at age 45. Um, And uh, this is a big change um, in the GI and um, I would say medical universe uh, when um, we used to uh, start screening at age 50. And what it means is um, colon cancer um, is high up in the list and um, where it is. It's the second leading uh, cause of cancer-related death and third leading cause of uh, cancer in both men and women in the US. So that's the reason we screen um, everyone, um, irrespective of um, ethnicity, gender, everyone gets screened at age 45. Um, What it means when we talk about screening. When we talk about screening, we are really saying how we can find cancer Earlier stages, the best um, that we can, of course, prevent and treat it. Um, there are various options um, available to find uh, colorectal cancer. And um, in bigger um, boxes, if we put them, um, the big one, big boxes are stool studies. And there are two or three options there. Um, the second one is the big one is colonoscopy, uh, which is the gold standard because if your stool studies are positive, uh, looking for blood, you will end up getting a colonoscopy irrespective. So colonoscopy is gold standard because we can go inside the colon, take a look, find cancer, but also remove precancerous lesions. And then this is uh, there's a third one called virtual uh, colonoscopy, which is a CT scan um, and uh, to look. To basically look into your large intestine um, uh, under imaging and look for polyps. But if that's positive, you still need colonoscopy. So these are the three big screening um, modalities to screen anyone. And all of these have pros and cons. And um, things to know about um, when you talk to your primary care provider, a lot of time you are uh, following a primary care care provider because uh, you don't have any symptoms and you're a healthy 45-year-old, you talk to your primary care provider and discuss all options. So um, I can go over some of the pros and cons, which I would highly recommend discussing. Please do. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about stool studies. So there are a couple of options in stool studies. And you may have heard things like um, FOBT and FIT fit. And these are stool tests where you basically pick stool and test it in a small um, envelope, which you get, and send it back to the lab. And then there's another one called multi-target stool DNA, which does similar. Um, you You have to collect the sample and send it back to the lab. Uh, Things to know about is um, the stool tests are good tests to detect cancer, but they are not great to detect polyps. So that's one thing um, about stool tests and if they're positive, you need colonoscopy. Um, But they are more or less... um, uh, depending on what stool test you pick, um, they're mostly cheap um, and convenient at-home tests. So when I when we talk about FIT tests, which is fecal immune chemical testing, or FOBT and other uh, stool tests, both looking for blood in stool, um, they are good tests, they're also very cheap at home, do it, but you need more than one stool test uh, or one stool card. So you have to do multiple tests Um, When we talk about multi-target stool DNA, if you've heard about Cologuard, that's another thing you can do. Um, That's not as cheap as FIT or FOBT we are talking about. And this is doing the same thing, looking at um, blood and stool. uh, Cologuard also looks for some DNA markers, as we say, um, and the idea is to find cancer. Um, Before we go to colonoscopy, I just want to say what are the negatives of these two tests. Um, FIT and FOBT, um, they are a very good tests to detect cancer, but like I said, they're not great for polyps. They also need more than one stool card, so that has to be done. FIT or FOBT also needs to be repeated every year. So keep that in mind, that when you're doing the stool test of FIT or FOBT, you have to do it every year. Coming to ColoGuard, which is a multi-target stool DNA, um, This is another good test to detect cancer and can be done between one to three years. Um, The main uh, negatives, I would say, are it's not always cheaper, um, may not always be covered by insurance or something to keep that in mind, um, but may have slightly higher false positive. That means it may be positive, but you may not have cancer, so it will end up having a colonoscopy. So there's pros and cons um, within the stool test itself. Colonoscopy, on the other hand, is what we call a gold standard, it's a direct test. We are getting inside the colon and um, looking for cancer, polyps, and we can remove polyps. So that's the great and the the best uh, thing you can do in prevention, but it has risk. And the risk is an invasive procedure. So we are using anesthesia. We are using, um, you have to take time off from work, so it has logistic issue. And then since it's um, done under anesthesia and it's invasive, there are other risks, risks such as bleeding or making a tear in the bowel wall requiring surgery. All these risks, to be honest, are very, very small. So overall, a very safe procedure, but being an invasive procedure, those are the risks to keep in mind. Also, colonoscopy needs a prep. That means your bowel has to be completely clear. You need a laxative drink the day before to clean your bowel. And those are the largest things to, um, to consider. The good thing about colonoscopy, if you don't have family history, no polyps are found on exam and your colonoscopy prep is great, you don't need screening for another 10 years. So that's the g- good part of colonoscopy. And then there's a third box, uh, which is virtual colonoscopy or CT, and essentially getting a CT off your abdomen um, area and looking for polyps. Um, Good thing is, it's semi-invasive, um, so you're not really, um, it, it's a scan, you can just go into the scan, so there are no um, invasiveness of a scope. Um, but um, the things to remember is you still have to do a PrEP, a bowel PrEP, to do this procedure, and it has to be available that if you find a polyp, we should do colonoscopy idly the same day. And it can be expensive as well, being a CT scan, and there are chances of finding incidental um, things on it. So these are the big three areas, I would say. And there are lots of pros and cons. So surely talk to your primary care provider or a GI doctor and see what works best for you.
1: Okay, well, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how either the primary care doctor or if you are involved with this, Dr. Kanth, how you determine and help uh, uh, your patients decide which one is best. But we need to take a short break here. And uh, in case you tuned in late, we're talking with Dr. Priyanka Kanth, a gastroenterologist with MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, and she leads the Gastrointestinal Cancer Prevention Program for patients and families with high risk for gastrointestinal cancers. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking with Dr. Priyanka Kanth, a gastroenterologist with MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. And Dr. Kanth, before the break, you explained uh, the various uh, screening tests that are used to, to to determine whether someone might have signs and symptoms of colorectal cancer. But I'm wondering... Uh, whether it's a primary care doctor or you, when you're seeing patients, what what risk factors, the patient's attitude, the thoughts about preparation and convenience, what are these factors that you uh, consider with a, with your patients as to which might be the best uh, screening test for colorectal cancer? Yes. Um,
2: um- then the first thing to be aware of is, and I want to emphasize this again and again, everyone in the US um, will need screening for colon cancer. Um, by age 45, everyone needs it. Now, there are some variations to this, and that's why having this awareness is important. Um, when you are seeing a primary care physician, a lot of time, uh, like I mentioned, you may not be following with a GI provider if you're healthy, um, adults not following with a GI physician for any reason. And at that time, uh, your primary care provider usually would provide information, what you're due for and what could be options. So um, the various uh, screening option, like I mentioned, stool versus colonoscopy or CT, um, it's a good idea to discuss in detail pros and cons and see what works best for you. And if you need more information, absolutely see a GA provider. The reason I say this is for some patients, it may be that um, it's more convenient to do at home test for you and uh, keep doing it every year. Stool test and they're cheap and they're great. And it may be the best um, option for you and for someone else who are like, I'm not able to follow every year uh, with the stool test. Let me just get colonoscopy, which is like, again, I said, gold standard because we can look at polyps and remove them, too. But you take the risk of a uh, very small risk of uh, being an invasive procedure. Plus the logistics. So it's a great tool. I want to get this done and then not worry about it for 10 years if it's a good test. Um, Those are the things. So it really depends on um, what you want to do. Um, In the GI world, we say the best screening is the one that gets done. Do something like make sure everyone gets uh, um, screened. That's the whole goal about uh, prevention. But um, one thing to know of is uh, your family history. Does that may change the age when we start screening. And I'm dwelling a little bit away from the average risk, which is all of us are, um, if we don't have a family history of colon cancer or a known genetic mutation that increases our risk for colon cancer, all of us have around 5% risk to get colon cancer. And that's why we screen everyone in the US. Um, but it changes if you have other factors. If you have family history of colon cancer, or if you have family history of more than one person with colon cancer or other various other cancers, and they may not be colon. They could be stomach or ovarian or female organ, other organ cancers. Be Talk about this, bring this up with your primary care provider, because you may not be average risk. And your risk may change suddenly with your family history. If you carry a known genetic mutation or have family history from 5%, it doubles to ten percent, or sometimes can even uh, increases up to sixty to seventy percent, depending on if you carry a certain gene mutation. So, having that awareness of your family history is very important because it can truly prevent colon cancer and prevent all the morbidity and uh, the sadness of cancer that can happen.
1: Well, these are really important words that you're sharing, because as you were saying earlier, there are so many risk factors that many people might have that it sounds like it's best just to make sure that you get screened for colon cancer. We all do after 45 years old. Is, is that correct? That's correct. Now it's 45. And we also use this
2: 45 is the new 50. So it was 50 for a very long time. And now for everyone, we use H45 screen everyone for colon cancer.
1: One thing I was also going to ask you, Dr. you when you were describing the various screening tests earlier, to get a little bit more information, because we're trying to provide so much here are there any good resources that people can read about uh, these different screening tests uh, that you can suggest we'll talk about that at the end but i'm just wanting to since we're in the moment here that uh, i was wondering if there was good places on the internet or other resources that you would recommend yes uh, various resources and
2: sometimes uh you know, if you just Google, um, I say do not just Google because there's so much um, on internet that it can confuse you. So the best is to um, go to a designated gastroenterology societies and national and international societies website. And some of them um, to know of are um, American, the American College of Gastroenterology, as we call ACG. They have some very good patient resources. Um, some others are um, AGA, which is American Gastroenterology, Gastroenterological Association. That's another national um, society, um, GI society. Uh, a couple others are um, American Cancer Society has some very, very good information as well. And then there's another one called ASG, American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy. Um, so I would say don't look um, for any information on the internet, but if you go to these um, societies, GI societies, and they have patient um, direct information, which is very helpful. Um, If you don't have access to internet, talk to your primary care provider or a GI physician. We can always explain and provide you with brochure and more details.
1: Okay. And one other quick question about screening, and that has to do with cost and insurance. Um, For those folks who are over over 65, um, I assume that Medicare does cover it, but can you talk a little bit about the, the variation as to the cost? You said that the the uh, stool DNA tests and uh, the blood tests um, might be less expensive, but give us a little bit of an overview on, on cost and, and insurance coverage for screening.
2: Yes, um, so insurance plays a huge role in screening and um, in general insurance should cover for screening. Um, Most insurance should cover, um, including Medicare, but they all have their variation. And uh, um, like I mentioned, stool test, um, FIT, FIT, or FOBT are uh, quite cheap and uh, no issues covering, and they're considered screening. Um, along with colonoscopy is covered, sometimes um, Medicare may not cover um, the other big box CT, virtual colonoscopy. Um, So good to talk to them and find out. Um, But what we have come across in past with insurance is, um, say we are doing a colonoscopy or you do a fit test and it's positive and then you need a colonoscopy or we do a colonoscopy as your first uh, step for screening and we find a polyp and we remove them. Um, A lot of time, insurance have changed uh, that from screening to a diagnostic. So that's where sometimes uh, uh, there is um, additional charges. And uh, to avoid this surprise or um, additional charges, uh, I recommend you talk to your insurance and uh, really talk in detail what happens if if they find something. Does the bill changes? But in general, um, U.S. Department of Health um, has uh, said that there shouldn't be a change, but every insurance is different. And screening uh, for prevention is usually covered. And they might be different in price factor, but usually most of them are covered.
1: All right. Uh, Now take us to the point where it might be uh, a person is at an age where uh, colorectal cancer screening is no longer needed. Is there an age or do people need it as long as they're um, alive? What would you tell us? Yes, um, uh, another great
2: question. So when do we stop? We, um, if you look at the guidelines and recommendation, um, U.S. Preventive Services Task Force uh, is the main body, and uh, Preventive Services Task Force and RGI Societies, so we all agree that after age 85... Screening is usually not recommended and it's based behind if if one has 10 years of life expectancy left, then it's worth screening. And and the reason uh, this is designed this way is a small polyp. I want to go back to polyp, a a small precancerous polyp might take 10 years to turn into cancer, the usual biology, five to 10 to 15 years. And that's the idea. And also uh, look at the comorbidities. And is it worth screening after each period? 85. So after 85, we do not recommend. Up to from 45 to 75, everyone should get screened. But this is the 10 years in between. 75 and 85 is the gray area, and that is uh, for uh, patients and people to decide um, who should get screened. And um, I say it a gray area because not everyone needs screening. We can technically stop at 875, but if you have never been screened before you are 75 years of age, you've never been screened before, you should surely get screening if you have 10 years of life left. So between 75 and 85, we really go by case by case. If you have 10 years life left, is it really worth screening you at this point or not? If you're going to live till 100, absolutely. If you've never been screened, absolutely get screened. But after age 85, we do not recommend screening.
1: Of course, it's hard to know exactly how long you're going to live, but... uh... That's uh, something we all hope won't happen for a long time, and we will live a long, healthy life. So um, it's important to to continue to get screening, as you said, until seventy five, and then the and then beyond the uh, to consider that. So I'd like to turn now to uh, the treatment options. Um, how are if if one is screened and then they are their uh, cancer is discovered. Um, how are colorectal cancer treatment options determined? W- what do you look at and what do you, how do you help, uh, how do you decide and how do you share that with your patients?
2: Yes, and um, the idea of um, getting screened or uh, getting a procedure done for symptoms is to um, figure out if um, anyone could have colon cancer Um, And what we usually do, um, say, for a screening when we are doing a colonoscopy before we find a cancer, we take tissue biopsy. So we uh, take um, small samples of the cancer found, and it is quite visible a lot of time for us, and we send them to pathologists, and they tell us if it looks like cancer. But that's uh, just the beginning of finding um, where the cancer is. And then it is a process of uh, staging the disease. That means we need to find out, is the cancer still in the colon or has it gone beyond the colon? So that's where the treatment comes in the picture. It's uh, truly a multidisciplinary um, uh, people, everyone uh, from surgery and oncology and GI doctors working together a lot of time to determine the the process. And um, when I say staging, It's in general, is from like stage one to four. And it really talks about, is it in your colon? Has it gone beyond your colon? Has it gone beyond the lymph nodes to other parts of the organ? And based on where they are, uh, we decide treatment. And once um, from a GI doc perspective, once we do the biopsy, we find it as cancer, essentially um, send the patient to our oncologist colleagues and surgical colleagues, and then one of the treatment options or both uh, are determined based on where the disease
1: is. So if if there is surgery, are there different types of surgery options then that are available based on the stage of the colorectal cancer? Yes. So, um,
2: Based on the staging, the treatment is determined. And when I say treatment, the earliest the stages are. So stage one and two, for example, are mostly um, treated by surgery. And what I mean by surgery is depending on where the cancer is, that part of colon um, is, is removed or can be removed. So when I say very early stages, uh, sometimes the colon, um, the cancer is just in this big polyp, And the pathologist tells us everything has been removed, we don't have to do anything else. And um, if it is very early stages, just a portion of colon can be removed or maybe some lump- and lymph nodes around it. That's the surgical approach. As it gets further, stage three, four, beyond the colon, then surgery may not be the first option. And when we talk about various surgery, we are really talking about what part of colon has been removed. Um, and the approach to surgery is fairly uh, straightforward in terms of the location um, and, uh, and the availability and uh, seeing the multidisciplinary care for that. Uh, for There's another role of surgery when st- Sometimes patients have um, cancer beyond to other parts of the organ. So sometimes uh, when the cancer is in liver or lungs, there could be targeted um, approach there. Um, Sometimes we need surgery when uh, patients have obstructive, as we call symptoms, they have severe constipation because cancer has completely blocked off the colon. And to remove that, sometimes we need surgery there.
1: So it, it has different role on essentially, the stage of the disease. Because it, if cancer is present, because that's what we're talking about now, is chemotherapy sometimes a, a treatment of choice, or are there other targeted therapies that are now used? What, what, what do we need to know? Yes. So as um,
2: again depends on the staging. So stage later stages of the cancer, uh, which are usually stage three and four, even some of the stage two cancers need to be treated with chemotherapy because it has spread beyond the wall of the colon, and uh, surgery is uh, not always going to uh, give the right treatment. So we start with chemotherapy. Um, sometimes um, for chemotherapy. Um, depending again on the staging, certain chemotherapy, which are usually infusions, so given by IV or so, it's decided on uh, where the cancer has spread. Uh, So like we call uh, metastatic disease or stage four disease where it has spread beyond the colon. Um, There are some role of targeted therapy. So we can test tumor uh, for certain molecular findings and then decide treatment based on that. Because certain uh, genetic aberrations, will not, um, these cancers will not respond well to usual therapy. So those uh, things can be applied. Um, In the world of genetic aberration, um, such as I brought up Lynch syndrome, one of the genetic mutations where you have higher risk of uh, colon and other cancer, there are certain molecular findings um, noted on the tissue. Based on that, we can target, if you've heard about things like checkpoint inhibitors, these are targeted therapy um, again, in the realm of uh, chemotherapy that can be used based on the molecular findings um, tested on the tumor. And we are talking again about late stages, Uh, chemotherapy, any stage three and four is when um, predominantly that is the treatment. Surgical treatment, um, mostly early stages, chemotherapy, mostly later stages in general.
1: for the rest of the interview, I'd really like to turn to prevention. And uh, you talked a lot about risk factors. And uh, But I'd like to hear from you about how older adults can reduce the risk of developing colorectal cancer. And also, along with that, are there certain medications that you recommend? What do you tell your patients?
2: Yes. So we uh, discussed uh, about um, Things we can change, risk factors we can uh, modify in our um, daily lives, which can help prevent cancer. And um, two or three things I always tell my patient, if you smoke tobacco, consider stopping because smoking has a huge risk with colon cancer and precancerous lesion, colon polyps. Smoking, um, after smoking, heavy alcohol usage and red meat diet, high processed red meat diet or uh, fat, high fat content in your diet uh, has a link to colon cancer. So that can be usually modified if you're a heavy meat eater, uh, go towards more vegetarian, more chicken and fish diet, um, more fruit and fiber. Anytime there have been studies uh, comparing fruit fibers versus red meat, fruit and fibers usually wins and, and more colon healthy. So that you can surely modify especially if you find a polyp or you have a family history of colon cancer, may or may not have genetic mutation in your family. These are the things you can surely do to change your lifestyle and physical activities. Another one um, to um, encourage yourself to and get more exercise. Um, in terms of medication, that's a very good question. Can we take a pill and prevent colon cancer? Um, yes and no. So there are Um, Some studies, or actually many studies, uh, done in the world of anti-inflammatory agents, which usually we call uh, NSAIDs, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, or aspirin. They have been studied in the world of colon cancer. Aspirin has some good effect. It has shown that it decreases uh, development of colon cancer if you take it for a long term. Now that um, data is good, but aspirin also can cause other issues like bleeding of the GI tract. So we have to be very careful. So we haven't come to a consensus where we are saying everyone take aspirin. Um, Everyone take um, non-steroidal because they can cause side effects. So we have not been recommending that, but these are potential uh, things that can be, that has been studied. Um, Aspirin is recommended in one condition, which is one of the genetic aberration. I talked about Lynch syndrome, where we do recommend aspirin because patients have very high risk of colon cancer. But otherwise, things you may consider, which has been studied, are high intake of calcium or vitamin D. Again, if you look at the guidelines, we are not there saying everyone just take vitamin D, but these are the potential things which have been studied um, and may work for certain condition.
1: So, Dr. Kant, you have certainly given us a lot of really important information in terms of prevention, diet, exercise, stop smoking, uh, reduce the amount of, of alcohol. We're dealing with a really important topic here of colorectal cancer. As a physician, talk to us about the physical, the emotional and the social effects of cancer and why screening and uh, lifestyle adjustments are so important. Help us to understand this this, this cancer. Yes.
2: Um, and the whole idea of uh, screening is to prevent that you are never at a stage where you have a cancer and uh, what comes with cancer. And there are various um, uh, Things that can, of course, happen. One is physical itself. You one get cancer, um, and it comes with pain from the disease itself, and then it requires uh, treatment based on like um, staging, surgery versus chemotherapy or both, and that. Uh, itself has a lot of physical ailments Um, it is, these are invasive procedure or strong medications, which has its own side effects. Uh, Surgery can have own risk uh, from anywhere from bleeding and other side effects or a tear of the bowel, or it may not go well. Um, Those are big aspects in physical uh, context. Uh, just chemotherapy. Uh, Lots of side effects can happen from chemotherapy. So going through that uh, GI symptoms and uh, fatigue and losing hair and all that um, has a huge toll um, on physical. So just getting um, the treatment um, at the earliest stage is the best. Or Not having cancer is, uh, is the best to not go through this physical. And Going through the physical aspects itself leads to the emotional aspects or social aspects of these. It's a huge toll to go through uh, various uh, doctor's visit, various infusion visit. It, It hampers your social life you emotionally feel low. Um, And uh, it's a distressing diagnosis. Um, If you don't have a lot of support of family and friend support, it can be difficult to do this alone. Um, So there are a lot of uh, things which cancer brings in. Um, And not to talk about also cost, uh, which uh, can be very distressing for a number of uh, So um, the best thing is if you can prevent it before it can happen or find it at the earliest stage so that no one has to deal with this uh, would be the best scenario um, in terms of uh, screening. And that's the idea of prevention.
1: I would also add that not only the impact uh, physically, emotionally, and socially, but the impact on the family as well, whether it's a spouse or a caregiver or uh, adult children or even grandchildren. I mean, cancer is a very serious issue, and that, it it goes beyond just the patient and what you've mentioned already, but the family members uh, themselves. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely. Caregiver's fatigue is a very, very uh, big in any kind of uh, chronic or cancer condition, and uh, it can take a huge toll on the family members um, physically as well. Um, they People who work full-time, it can be very, very difficult for them to take care of their family members and just uh, dealing with this emotionally. Absolutely, Cheryl.
1: All right. Well, one final question. You did share earlier in the interview some best resources to learn more about colorectal cancer. Um, If you want to share those again or just a few, that would be great. Absolutely. So um, I would highly recommend go to
2: one of our GI societies and American College of Gastroenterology or American Gastroenterological Association. Um, our great resources or American Cancer Society has uh, some very good resources on uh, what cancer, what colon cancer is and how we can prevent it or how do we treat it. So these are some great um, websites to um, look into Like I said, if you don't have um, access to these, talk to your provider, talk to GI doctor, and we can provide you with material um, to to discuss more and to look um, more into and understand this condition.
1: All right. Well, I want to thank Dr. Priyanka Kanth, who is a gerontologist with MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. And I would emphasize again that she leads the Gastrointestinal Cancer Prevention Program for patients and families with high risk for gastrointestinal cancers. So really want to thank you, Dr. Kanth, for joining me today. Thank you
2: very much, Cheryl.
1: I would add to listeners that if you want to learn about Aging Matters, radio and TV, you can visit our website, which is www.agingmattersonline.com. At this site, you can access all of our Aging Matters radio and TV show content and access the Aging Matters podcast, uh, which this program and many others are on Apple and Spotify. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.